Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are back. Coffee with the Johns, episode five, season two. Today, we have a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of crazy stuff, mainly real estate related. Um, sometimes, you know, we try to stick, uh, cover what's affecting the, the market, what's affecting everything. And uh, a lot of times it's politics, right? Because politics, policies, they affect the way we invest, they affect what we do. But this week, we actually have a lot on the real estate market and some crazy stuff that San Antonio is doing that I am eager to hear what you think. So I make actually- sure to give us a like, give us a little thumbs up on YouTube. It helps us out tremendously. And if you happen to have any social media account, just take a little screenshot and share it on social. Have your friends over because um, it's time to really educate the public because the stuff that, that we're going to cover today, it's... It's things that affect everybody, not just people in real estate. It's going to affect everybody, anybody that owns a business. So this is not just real estate related. And the more educated we all are, the better it's going to be for everybody involved. So with that being said, I am your host, Jonathan Barbera. And with me as always is our co-host, Mr. John Barra. Can that's, I talk that's now? for you, man. Did you see my catch myself? I was like, hey. welcome. <laughs> How's it going, sir? Good week? Yeah, pretty good so far. Pretty good so far. I think it's been a great week. I mean, we took marketing back in-house, and mm. we've been doing it for all of, like, what, a month, and we already got a few deals going. We already bought a house. We are picked up a piece of land. I mean, shaping up really good. Yeah, just gotta- yeah. 2021. I mean, that's the thing about the marketing is, like, it takes so long to get going, and then you just can't stop because you stop. It stops immediately. Oh. But if you, like, it takes so long to build it back up, build it yep. back up, build it back up, get those lists, get the manager, get the mark, get the tracking. It just takes a lot. So a lot of that seems to be uh, starting to come together, thank God. Yes. There's a lot of frustration the last lot- two months, but hey. Well, I mean, it. you know, there were a lot of things that I think we said this before, and we took for granted. We were doing very well. Uh, we were always, we've been, I mean, we are usually very terrible at marketing. We've been very terrible at marketing, which is why we haven't done it for the last four years. But um, one thing that I I realized and we both have realized is that when you're doing well is really when you need to start planning for what can bring me down, right? That That's the yep. question I think that we failed to ask ourselves if we were our competition or if something was to happen, what can bring us down? And yes, granted, we nobody I think anticipated a freaking pandemic, you know, worldwide pandemic Black shut swan. down everything. But that that is part of that exercise, right? You you got to plan for like, what if Godzilla comes out and fucking starts stomping on Texas? Godzilla <laughs> hey, starts stomping on Texas. Hey, you All know, right. I don't know, man. Anything is possible. But you know, one thing that we did realize was that is that when you're doing good, if you don't start planning for what happens if everything that you know gets flipped upside down, you're when that happens, you're pretty much going to be screwed. Luckily, you and I were we do coffee with the Johns, we do the market updates, we do all that mostly for us, right? We do most of that stuff for us because we are always paying attention to. Trends are coming well, the only the reason line. we did this show is because we'd spend so much time sitting there talking and BSing about yeah. topics. I was like, 
We should just record it and just put it on the internet and see if it'll be able to like watching us go back and forth and everyone thinks we're uh, arguing because we both have we both speak in all caps when we're and, passionate and, about something. And funny enough, uh, um, we've always talked about, you know, it'd be cool if we had like some GoPros throughout the, the office just always recording so it captures because we, we tend to sometimes out of the blue some really good conversations and some really good like strategy sessions uh, develop. But then I was like, if it was capturing... Everything we say, I don't know if it'd be good for business. <laughs> yeah. We have very dark humor, <laughs> sense of humor, and you do, you do. Come on, you laugh. I, so. <laughs> I laugh, but it's also like more laughing at you, not with you. Yeah. So, with all that being said, uh, I hope everybody's having a great week. Uh, comment below where you're listening from. Where, uh, what is it that you focus on in real estate? I'm really interested. Put it in the chat below because. If you are, if you use the chat correctly, this is some great networking that you can do. Put in there, you know, what is it that you focus on? What is it that you do in real estate? What is it that you're needing help with? What are you um, looking to do? And the people that jump on, I mean, we have a gentleman on here, Tommy Ray, who is, I, I tell everybody, he is a wealth of knowledge. You know, um, I do feel bad because I think we've been saying his praises quite some time and um, I feel bad because he's a really nice guy and I think he's going to get flooded with people just asking him for shit. <laughs> so sorry, Tommy, if that happens, I'm telling you, I think you need to set up a, a, a little system to start charging for consulting. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, wealth of knowledge. And then, you know, we always have people jump on from all different spaces. So go ahead, jump on the chat, put, is it, put what it is that you focus on. What do you do? What are you uh, looking to do? What are you struggling with? Uh, what curiosities or questions you have about real estate, put it in the chat and just kind of develop that back and forth with people and build those connections. So I wanted to jump in because this is something that to me, last week I get home after coffee with the Johns and Val tells me, you know, okay. She's like, it was really good, but you know, you, you sometimes give too many of, of your, my um, aggressive opinions. Impressive opinions. I guess that's what that's what I would call it. Um, and then I was shocked because I was like, "You have no idea how much I held back." Like because that's how you normally are. The past like five six years we've been working together. So like somebody makes a comment like that, like if man, if they even knew how far I could go. Yeah, because know. you know people are like, "Oh my god, you can't believe you said that." I'm like, "That's because that's the nicest thing I could think of saying without hurting somebody's feelings." And it's not that I'm trying to be an asshole or things. It's that I am a passionate person. I do have emotions. And especially when we talk about the economy, entrepreneurship, the businesses, everything that's been happening to businesses and entrepreneurs lately. I mean, if I, I, I don't even, I can't even begin to describe how pissed off all of that makes me. Because like I said before, when, when people are losing their businesses, because of no fault of their own yeah. and because they're simply not too big to fail. That's just to me, I mean, as business owners, the amount of work that we put into this, uh, you know, we, we sacrifice a lot for our business. You know what I mean? We sacrifice yeah. a lot to do what we do and, and to have to lose it. And then nobody gives two shits about it. And it's not even your fault. I mean, it's Ouch. rough. I mean, you see a lot of that going on in, in multiple places all over the country, and it, it is, it's terrible. Yeah. But, uh, and you can't be passionate about it, but that's all, I mean, 
what can you do besides to try to spread the wealth and knowledge why we hold these shows? Is it going to say, hey, make sure you know what's going on. Don't read just the headlines, multiple sources, multiple places you get the information from and stay educated and make your own opinions. Yeah, I mean, just like everything, just like there is a lot of bad news, bad news, if you're a true entrepreneur, is just opportunities, right? Whenever there's bad news or something like that, it's just opportunities down the line. But I wanted to start off with this article. Homeless camp in downtown San Antonio shut down by the city. So the camp at I-35 in Brooklyn, which is, I think, the one that you've been talking about. I-35 in Brooklyn. That's uh, right by Commerce, uh, East Houston, where you get off. That's the one that I'm pretty sure you've been talking about because that's Brooklyn, the street that you can never remember. Remember? (laughs) The street I can never remember. Yeah, because you're always like, oh, what's that street we get off of? So anyway... Yeah, that is, let, that is the, let that me is cur- the camp. let me tell you what happened. So, city crews cleared out a homeless camp in downtown San Antonio Wednesday and cleaned the area following a string of violent crimes and health hazards. About 50 tents um at the overpass and in Interstate 37 in Brooklyn. 50 tents. I mean, nuts. And SAPD has responded to numerous incidents including shootings and stabbings. In one case, homeless person was set on fire. God. Yeah. So Jesus. police have also responded to reports of extortion with homeless people forced to pay for protection. We have a homeless mob going on. <laughs> Very interesting. And during the visit last week, Reuter, 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 Reuter the news people, Reuter, uh, said that the outreach options were offered to a number of veterans at the camp. Haven for Hope also offered a ride to its shelter in a van. Uh, many homeless who are forced to move out said they were frustrated about having to leave. Out? Forced to move out. Exactly. They're upset to leave. So this is what they said. Uh, one of the city uh, representatives for San Antonio said. This abatement is consistent with the priorities of the city's recovery and resiliency plan. The city has added resources to make emergency shelter COVID compliant, provide more housing, more rehousing programs, and more on-the-ground outreach. The city invests $32 million annually to aid persons experiencing homelessness. These funds provide operations and support funding for partner agencies, outreach, and cleanup program. The discussion, uh, so the discussion came out that they are going to be looking at buying a hotel for the homeless population. So if you guys remember, we talked about this last week that Austin is seven or eight, ho- no, 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 eight or nine hotels in already for the homeless population with just two of them costing them 3.5 million dollars a year to maintain all of that is our money right all well, of that is fantastic it's like hey we create this giant this pandemic goes and we take advantage of the hardest hit industry the tourism and hotel industry and now that the values are substantially lower we're going to go ahead and buy them at fire sale prices so then we can put this problem over here. so here here's my thing so this whole thing of buying the hotels came about because of, quote, the displacement of the homeless camp in downtown I-35, displacing dozens of people who live there. Are they homeless or do they live there? 
What's going on? Because they're homeless, right? But they themselves are telling you, why are you kicking us out? This is our home. They're choosing to be there. They're giving, and, and I'll put, like I said, I'll put these articles after the show uh, goes live and everything. It's going to be in the descriptions below. Sometimes these articles get too lengthy, uh, the links and everything. You only get a certain amount. So if for whatever reason, just head over to our website. I ha I, on there, I put all of the articles. But they, the homeless people are complaining. They were talking about they put $32 million annually to aid this, right? Then they have programs. They have vans. They have people consistently going to these homeless camps saying, hey, who needs a ride somewhere? Who needs help with the services? Here are the services that we provide. Here's everything that we have available to you. Who needs any help? Who needs any services? And they are, the homeless people are telling them, no, nah, we're good. Leave us alone. We're fine. You understand? And now the city is going out of their way. So the city is currently already leasing two hotels in San Antonio to help the homeless population. One of them, 300-room hotel, is operated by Haven for Hope as an extension of its shelter, while the other serves as a safe place for homeless people with suspected or confirmed cases of COVID uh, to safely isolate. So... I mean, this stuff is the stuff that like just fires me up in a very bad way because, and, and please don't get me wrong, I am not trying to be insensitive. I understand this kind of triggers people a certain way. Um, that's not my intent with this. My thing is that the homeless people themselves are telling you that they're not homeless, that they are choosing to be there, that they are happy where they are. They're... The police have answered to a shit ton of crimes, right? There's drugs. There's uh, shooting, stabbings, lighting people on fire, lighting people on fire, abortion, um, mob activity. Yeah. yeah, and then let's add all the health hazards that's probably there, right? I mean, COVID is probably like the least of their worries. Yeah. So, uh, uh Val was reading an article that she was talking about how they found a a young-ish girl, I think, early twenties, maybe late teens, with a newborn. She was homeless and she was there and the police came to like try to help out and everything, uh, you know, help out. I don't know. Did, did they try to help out or were they just by force? Who knows? But the point is that the chick resisted. She's like, no, leave me alone. We're good. So it's like. Yet we're spending millions because you know how efficient the city is at budgeting anything. So we're spending millions of taxpayer dollars for all this. I mean, this is insane. Like, <laughs> this is just nuts. What what the hell is there? What what options do we have here with with homeless people? Well, I mean, time, Tommy Ray puts in here says time for a free bus ride to California where they can have better weather and a more tolerant and welcoming people. Well, isn't that what they've been doing? Isn't that how we got so many homeless people? They put them well, on a I've, bus from like Arizona or some shit. Well, we've heard article. I've read and heard and seen things in the past where like yeah, some of these cities and municipalities in their budgets they literally just pass in fancy terms of relocation projects and they literally just put them on planes and ship them to other cities and just kind of constantly move homeless population around. But I mean, I am, it's, I'm not, I say, choose words carefully. 
that homeless camp was getting very large and it is getting substantially larger every week because I drive down that way to go check out our new builds down there. And I remember seeing like one, two, three, five, ten, and now they grew all the way up to 15. It was expanding over streets. So I mean, it is good to see that they're cleaning that up and they're relocating them to better areas, hopefully to these hotels or wherever it may be, because it was like right as you pull into downtown, the first exit off of 281 of uh, 137 you get off that way the first thing you see is this giant homeless camp and it wasn't like clean by any means there was just piles of trash and stuff all over the place so i mean it's a very grimy dirty place to where like yeah like you said i could only imagine what uh other stuff they're fighting in there besides just covid um as far as like disease goes and it, it's just that to where like now they're talking the state municipalities are going to get like billions of dollars in bailouts for them and like where's that stuff going to go i was like are they going to take this and now buy more hotels to house people and just inefficiently spend taxpayer dollars on stuff and like that's my problem it's not yeah. trying to assist homeless people i'm all for that I'm trying to get them programs to get them back into society and being productive and if they don't want to help then they shouldn't be getting services at all it's like hey i'm not going to give you any more assistance unless you're actually trying to be a productive member of society and then the fact that uh they're so inefficient at doing it it's like 32 million dollars is it's a good chunk of change and now they're taking it's 10 percent of that just to run one hotel with 300 rooms yeah it's like it takes you that much money to maintain only 300 people or well, 300 rooms. And then the, the thing becomes, I don't know if you ever saw the movie New Jack City with uh, Wesley Snipes, Ice-T. It's an old movie. Um, Wesley Snipes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in that movie, they there's a part where Ice-T goes to pick up Chris Rock and he's in this project. And it's like a big ass crack house building. That's how I picture these hotels turning out to be. Right. Because my thing is, like, in order for it not to turn out that way, who's going to be policing it? Who's maintaining the hotel? Like then now you're putting more people at risk every, every week. Exactly. Like what, what's that going to look like? So where I'm going at is this is costing the city millions, tens of millions of dollars a year, if not more. That's not costing the city. It's costing us like the people that live in this. City. Well, we fund the yeah. city. Yeah, exactly. So it's costing us tens of millions of dollars a year uh, to do this. And again, I am not saying, you know, screw the homeless or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that you have services, you have a ton of opportunities, you have vans that are going around to all these homeless camps, trying to help people, trying to get them uh, whatever they need. And they're telling you they don't care. They don't want it. They're, they're choosing to be homeless. So it's like, why are we doing this then? Why is it that force of kind of like we're the government we're here to help right it's like <laughs> you know why force it and cost the city it cost us tens of millions of dollars that could be put into a million other things businesses that are, are struggling and failing because of this uh that are losing you know we talked about it last week 45 percent of the u.s gdp comes from small businesses 50 percent of employment comes from small businesses yeah. and small businesses right now are the ones taking the biggest hit and majority of them are not even coming back. So why not deploy that money to that, to help these businesses stay in business? Well, that's what I, I hope that a lot of these with this like new package that look like they're going to ram through the government is that 350 billion going to state and local governments. I'm hoping that money doesn't go to 
government blow and just trying to hire more people and expand service to where like they create incentive programs to give to small businesses where it's like on a local level, it is much easier for a municipality that's here in San Antonio to help smaller San Antonio businesses versus just a federal government trying to regulate a one size fits all for everybody kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm hoping that's where that goes and not just like, Oh, nope, we're going to give these all this money to just sustain ourselves and to give the capital to make us grow, which I, Hoping that happens, but I don't have faith in that because, like you said, we're the government. We're here to help. Hide your pocketbook, yeah, kind of scenario. Pretty much. But I mean, it does suck. But um, I'm hoping that's where it goes. What's up, podcast? If you are getting value out of this right now, and you're saying, "Damn, John, th this is some good shit. This is some good information," then I just ask you, just shoot on over to YouTube and just find this video and give me a little thumbs up on there. It helps me so much. You have no idea how much it means to me with all the work and everything that we put into this. It, it really helps us grow our channel and grow our, our reach. So if you can just, if you're finding some value, just shoot on over to YouTube, find an investor's journey, find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. That means the world. Thank you. Fiesta Commission delays the San Antonio's biggest party and cancels the parade. So we have Fiesta coming up, right? Usually, uh, yeah, usually around April. And Fiesta, if you're not from San Antonio or Texas or live in a bubble, this is one of the biggest events that San Antonio has. It brings in a ton of tourism, right? It helps the small businesses. I mean, it moves a lot. It moves a lot the economy, uh, the parades, everything. I mean, the same people in San Antonio go nuts every year for Fiesta with the medals, with all of the things that are going on. So my thing is like, now we have this happening, right? We have Fiesta that's being canceled. It, not, Fiesta's not being canceled, so it's getting postponed till June. And it's getting postponed till June. And then you have... So Mayor uh, Nuremberg, Ron Nuremberg, says delaying Fiesta 2021 until June puts safety first, and it is the right move for our community. Through the ongoing vaccination program and our continuing efforts to suppress COVID-19, we are working to be in a better position by June. My thing is like, okay, so Fiesta, huge moneymaker for the economy, huge moneymaker for, you know, the local people, tourism, all of that. Now it's being delayed again. Who knows what's going to happen? I have read an article. I think it was you that shared it with, uh, you know, Mr. Know-it-all, Dr. Fauci, um, saying how the vaccines, like, it's just going to take for freaking ever for the vaccines to do yeah. any effect. And then even then, like, they raised how many people even need to get vaccinated. Yeah, it used to be like 60 to 70. Now he's saying, oh, it really needs to be 75 to 85. Exactly. And then he even said in there that it's like there's so much m mis information of what is the true number he's like oh less than two percent of the u.s population has been vaccinated i'm like that's only like that's less than 10 million people you're talking about but you hear stuff from like the biden administration saying we've administered 25 million we're getting close to 30 million vaccines like so now we're nearing 10 percent. but Fauci's saying it's only two percent so it's like who's right now it comes out to oh everyone should be wearing double masks everyone's actually we should be wearing triple masks and it's like <laughs> oh, okay people like at the end when we're starting to get stuff rolling out now you're coming out saying everyone should wear double and triple mask. Like, your your mask needs a mask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I saw a little meme that's like, oh, more masks help. And it was a picture of like somebody wearing like 25 masks like yeah. stacked onto their face. And it's like. Uh, it will help because it'll cut off your oxygen enough where you just end up dying yeah, from yeah. asphyxiation. And then they'll say, no, he had COVID. Gotcha. Yep. 
But they they can't they and they decided to cancel both of the Battle of the Flowers and the Fiesta Flamboy Parade. Flamboy Parade. Um, so they cancel both parades and they're postponing it. So he's saying that we're gonna be in a much better position by June. Fauci does not agree, right? And um, you know, he's the the guy that knows everything. And um, so my question is, if we're not, like what what is he put measuring as better position, right? In June, we're going to be in a better position. Okay, what does that measure look like? What does a better position look like? Right now, we're not in a better position. Why? What are the numbers that you're looking at? And what do yeah. the numbers need to be by June for us to be in a better position so the parade can, so not the parade, but the event can actually happen? And then at that point, like, what's that look like? Are, you know, are businesses going to be allowed to open bars, restaurants, everything to, if we do have tourism to take care of that? Yeah. And I mean, it's just like the small businesses that just thrive during those times. Like this is the second year in a row. Now they're saying like, obviously it was canceled in 2020 and now 2021 comes around and they're like, uh, we're just going to kick it and push it and postpone it even further. Well, that's what they did last year. They didn't just cancel. They moved it to like June. Then they moved it to October. Then they just said, okay, well, we're not having it this year. Like some of these businesses and then like these, these PPP programs that they're putting out only covers two and a half months of payroll. That doesn't include overhead expense, the things you need to actually run your business. So yeah, you can sustain your payroll, but like payroll is your biggest expense, but then it's yeah. all of your rent that comes into that. Everything plays into that to where it's like, I'm sorry, I, I just covering my payroll doesn't, after an entire year of not having my income or income cut off, doesn't supply me the money and capital needed to sustain. I'm not like these multi massive conglomerates um i mean i can switch to this article now that uh, about exxon mobile that uh you were kind of making fun of me like oh that seems like an article you would do <laughs> but um what shocked me about it if i can find it there we go exxon mobile reports a 20 billion dollar loss fourth straight quarter in the red 20 billion dollars in one quarter so they're losing over just over last year they lost I mean, probably close, I mean, getting close to a hundred billion dollars. And it's like, these companies can't afford, they have the barrel, they have the cash flow, they have the system set up, they have the liquidity access to sustain these things. Like you may alluded to at the very beginning of just like these small businesses don't have that ability. Cause like, when is a bank going to lend you money? Not when you need it. They'll give you money when it's like, Oh, Hey, you're a super secure business. Everything's going fine. We'll give you money. But then when the bed times get rough, it's all cut off. So it's like, these we're not these companies that can't sustain like years without or months and years without um, capital access and with, with all this money. And what blew my mind about it is, um, where is it? That revenue however came up on a short of ex expectations of forty six and point five four billion. The street consensus was forty eight point seven six, so two billion less than what they anticipated. But the shares of Exxon Mobil on the news that they lost $20 billion in a quarter and didn't meet revenue expectations, the shares went up 1.6%. So to me, that just blew my mind of like, what? They lost fourth quarter straight in the red, lost 20 billion and stuff uh, in, a, in a quarter, and then the stock price goes up. 
And it just shows like this money that are pumping into the market. Where is it going? It's going into the stock market. It's going into places that these mass conglomerates can self feed on this money to sustain by selling stock and getting liquidity into cash to sustain their business. So that is just what blew my mind. Um, and, and it wasn't the Reddit people involved with the... <laughs> no, apparently taking... not, not Reddit for ExxonMobil. <laughs> oh, that's right. They're, they're there for the little guy. Yeah. My... Um, one thing I wanted to talk about and I wanted to get your thoughts and opinion on is I was actually watching, you know, uh, the uh, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, the second part with uh, Shayla Buff. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So in that movie, and I remember back in um, in 2008, 2009, when all of this happened and there, the bailouts and everything. One of the biggest terms that was being thrown around was moral hazard, right? You know, moral hazard, for those of you that may not know, is pretty much what it means is that if we bail these companies out that made terrible decisions, what's going to be there to make sure that they don't do it again, right? Because if we're bailing them out, what's to say that they won't do it again now, right? No. That, you know, we're showing them like, hey, you can be stupid, make terrible bets, terrible decisions, and we got we got you taken care of. So there is big talks. And from the government themselves, from um, uh, Ben Bernanke at the time, he was, you know, he wasn't a huge fan of the of the whole bailing out these banks that did very speculative bets and all of this. Right. Obviously, as we all know, they bailed them out anyway. Way back when, when $800 billion was considered to be a lot of money. We're, what, what are we eclipsing on like five, $5 trillion Just last this, year alone. On this one. <laughs> um, but so he was against it, moral hazard, all that. What I think happened is that they printed all the money. They gave it to a ton of banks, everybody that did all the stupid shit. They gave it even to banks that didn't need it because they're like, well, it doesn't matter. You still got to take this money because... You know, you got to put it in the market. You got to deploy it, whatever it is. And they realize that, huh, okay, nothing bad happened, right? We talk about this moral hazard and everything, but all right, the economy is still good. Look at the stock market, right? That, they gauge yeah. the economy based on the stock market. So now it's, they're not thinking twice about moral hazard anymore. Oh. It was like the experiment, the question, the curiosity was answered back in 2008 when they did it and they realized that nothing bad happens nothing bad right yeah quote unquote because they are the measuring stick that they use keeps being changed keeps well, getting like moved the the average person was able to still go to starbucks and get their froco moco caramel chai latte with yep. white foam um, we're not making fun of anybody that likes those okay but they can say people go to their Starbucks and, or they could get guacamole on their Chipotle burrito yeah. and be okay. But that just didn't do anything to where the people, what that did is it gave money to people that had assets and inflated asset prices. Yeah. So when you look at wage growth, like it was still stagnant. It really didn't go anywhere. And like it came back down to where like, yeah, it, it made life continue, but it exacerbated that wealth gap that well, is even the bigger problem as they're talking now. And then you look at that, right? The the wealth gap and all of this is that the stuff that I look at, you know, especially last year, you and I would have a lot of arguments because you were like, no, not last year, 2019. I forgot. 2020 is like that freaking lost year. Uh, but in 2019, we used to 
you and I kind of get into discussions about you're like, oh, the economy is doing so great. And I was like, I feel the economy is propped up. All this is fake. And you're like, but look at the data, right? Because you, you love data. You look at the data and all that. But what I looked at was more of how can the economy be doing so great when people are needing two to three jobs to make a decent living? Right. And I'm not saying survive. Yes. In this country, you can survive with less. Right. But what are we talking about? You don't have shit. You, you don't have quality of life. Right. You just have survival. And which, yeah. by all means, of course, is better than nothing. But that's all you have. But to have quality of life, you do need two, three extra incomes. Right. And even then you have quality of life, but you're probably in debt up to your ass. You, you, you probably, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck. You probably don't have much of a savings. You definitely don't have any investments. Well, a lot of that stuff is, their, it's their own damn fault. Uh, there are people like they try to keep up with the Joneses. Like that goes back all the way back to the education system and parenting of just saying like, Hey, you need to go buy things. You need to go buy stuff. You need to compete with the person next door to where like, if you work in two, three jobs and like, and you have a basic education, like and you're making 50 grand a year, 40 grand a year, you can save your way up to having a good life. It's just, you don't go buy the Frappuccinos for six bucks every freaking morning. Like you get a coffee, make coffee maker from Walmart for less than $20 and you make your own How coffee. Dare you? It's just like, they could do it themselves if they wanted to, but like the discipline isn't there. The moral pain that they feel that they're inferior makes them go out and spend. And yeah. put it on credit card and try to live a life that they don't want to live. As like, and that comes down straight to education and parenting of like around personal finance. Like, the, uh, I don't need. Where am I ever going to use the Pythagorean theorem that you learn in algebra? But I don't use that on a daily basis. But I know I need to know how to use a credit card, and I need to know how to balance a check. But I need to understand investments. And you don't talk about that at all no. in school. But man, I I can know three, four, five triangle it makes a right angle. Like, come on. So that's where I take that back to. And I get very frustrated with people saying, oh, these people with these jobs, like they shouldn't have to work this hard to sustain a living. It's like, or they could just not overspend and well, buy a bunch of like fake things to sustain a life. How about that? How about that? Well, and that's also the thing with um, that I talk about that we talked about even last week. I came as, you know, we were immigrants to this country and everything. and what I grew up, so as, okay, as immigrants, we hung out with more immigrants, right? Um, you kind of hang out with your people. Like, likes, like. Yes. So we, a lot of our friends and all that were also immigrants in this country. And one thing that we talked a lot about was the fact that as much as I, I would remember our parents and all that saying how much they loved our countries, right? How much they loved Argentina or the friends we were with at the time, Costa Rica and all these, you know, how beautiful the country is and everything, but you can't make a living there. You can't survive. Like it's just, you know, communism, damn near socialism, like where they keep the poor, poor, just keep giving them enough to kind of just live. And, but there's no quality of life. There's no, you know, anything Existing. else. Yeah. But here, it, the reason they all came here, it, we all came here was because there's that promise that if you work and you bust your ass, you're going to have a future. You're going to have whatever it is that you want. But not for free. You got to work. You got to work. You got to bust your ass. You got to earn it. You understand? Simply being American doesn't, and it shouldn't entitle you to shit. 
You understand? Like, you need to earn your life. Being alive and being, no matter where you're at in the world does not entitle you to anything. It entitles you for your ability to advance your life. Make your life better. If you're not happy, you have the ability to go out and do something about it. That's yeah. all that you're entitled to. Not anything else. Not, not more than that. It's just you sh are able to go out and better your life if you choose to. Able bottle, exactly. you don't have a disability, you can go do it. Nobody, nobody else depend on like, oh, you should give me this, you should give me that. No. Well, exactly. So you have, you always have the opportunity, and and the benefit that you have as an American is that you have a lot to your uh, resources available to you. As immigrants, we didn't have any kind of government help, government assistance, nothing. We weren't entitled to any of that stuff, right? Because we're not Americans. That's only for Americans. So my thing is, like, we go back to the same thing. What did you do to earn that? Just being born here? It creates an entitlement issue. Oh, for sure. So it creates it. And that's the, that's the entitlement that I think I have an issue with every time I read articles like this, every time I see stuff like that, that my issue comes in because I look at how much my parents worked and busted their ass to provide a living for us, how much they sacrificed. You understand? Like, I, I saw all those things, but I didn't see them as, oh, poor dad, poor mom. I didn't see it as that. I just saw it as like, all right, that's what you got to do. You got to earn your way. You know what I mean? So what did I do in high school? Uh, many people don't know this, but like in high school, I was offered a full scholarship to go to a technical university in Florida um, for mechanics, uh, auto you mechanics. Loved, you would have loved Florida. Yeah, I imagine. All that humidity and heat. Well, at the time, I was a high school kid, so I was just thinking girls in bikinis. Um, that's all I thought about. <laughs> college, girls in bikinis. I was like, ooh, I'm ready for college. Um, but because we were immigrants, I couldn't take that scholarship. I wasn't allowed to take the scholarship, right? I didn't cry about it. I was like, all right, that's that. Dropped out of school because I was like, you know, I'm not American, so I can't earn my way there. You know, so I went to work. And I created my business and started working and build our business. And then eventually I was able to get my papers. I earned my right to be called an American. And I just look at everything and I look at everybody just whining and complaining. And we have, you know, friends of ours that are always complaining about the, this past election. Oh, it was stolen. It was this. It was that. You know I'm not saying it is or was it. My thing is like, and like, stop the bitching. What is it with all this complaining and whining and moaning? And it's like, do something about it. You know, let's say the Democrats did steal the election. Okay, steal it back. What did they, they do? They played the game better. Exactly. Than they like, they well, beat like, you. Stop whining. Stealing and cheating is a way is a game strategy. I mean, just look at your New England Patriots. Let's go Patriots. <laughs> had to throw that Let's in go. there. It's like, oh, they cheated, but hey, they still hey. won games. I was like, they still got the titles. Yeah. So it, it, it is. Uh... I don't know. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, I get emotional about those things because, because of that. Like, I saw the struggle that my parents went through. I went through the struggle myself where, like, you know, I was denied a lot of shit. You know, I lived in fear most of my life up until my, like, mid-20s when I finally was able to 
become a, a resident, legal resident of the country. So, you know, up until then, I was driving illegally. I was working illegal. Well, not, not working because I was self-employed. That is illegal. Uh, that is legal. And as a self-employed, like, they do require you to pay taxes, even though you don't get anything back. So where I'm going at with this is that immigrants give a lot to this country. You understand? To earn their place here. Americans simply exist. And it's enough. And I think that's what needs to change. You understand? I think that's the shit that needs to change because the love I have for this country, I mean, I think I can be almost any American with how much love I have for this country. And I've lived in other countries. I've actually had to leave and go live in other countries. I love this country with all of my heart. I would do anything for this country. You understand? But it's because I worked and I sacrificed to be here and yeah. to have what I have. And I don't see people willing to do that. People are just like, you should take care of me. And that's fine. There's no pride. There's no pride even in like, is that the country that you want to live in? I mean, is that really the country that you want to be, that you want to call home? A country that's just like, yeah, it's like saying, you know, yeah, my daddy takes care of me. We all know this. How many times do you use that same example? Like, oh, you know, it's because he or she is spoiled, right? Their parents spoil them. They, they oh, daddy takes care of everything. We, many people are always making fun of those people. Yet, that's exactly what you want to do. That's exactly who you want to become. Your daddy is the government now. And you're saying, daddy, take care of my credit card bills. When does ownership kick in? You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Like I said, uh, I'm kind of worked up, so I'm sorry if I'm hurting anybody's feelings. Uh, I again, my whole thing with this is like I said, it's I, passionate in all caps. Yes, I, I love the country so much, and when I hear people complain and disrespect this country, it upsets me because it's like, no, this country is still an amazing country. Do we have flaws? Yes, we have flaws. Don't turn off the mic. I know. I'm making sure I don't turn you. it off. That's what I was saying. Okay. I'm making sure it's not. <laughs> but when I hear people complain and, and bitch about the country, it just really upsets me because it's like you, you don't know how good you have it. You know, and, and again, I'm not saying that we don't have flaws and there isn't room for improvement. There always is. There's always going to be room for improvement, you know, but it's not a place for you to just make it so drastic of a decision where it's like there's room for improvement. Oh, the whole country sucks because of this one little issue or this one sector. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it, that is a problem. Let's come together and solve it. But the country doesn't suck because of it. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> sorry for that rant. Uh, and, but it's just something like, again, really gets my blood boiling when I hear stuff like that. Well, let's find some more blood boiling topics to get you in as far as funny money getting let's go. pumped into the market. What are you thinking? Well, but do your one on uh, Elon Musk because I got a follow up to it. Which one? Uh, the neural link. Okay. Oh, so this one's actually a fun article. Uh, I enjoyed it uh, because, you know, I love technology. <clears throat> I love all the advance advancements in technology. I love, uh, you know, gadgets, everything that has to do with that. So Elon Musk says Neuralink could start implanting chips in human brains later this year. So Neuralink is actually a company that he owns. And I mean, my God, how many businesses does this guy have? 
freaking nuts. And no wonder he has the, the success Ma- that he Mar- has. Like, married to his career kind of type. Oh, 1,000%. He has like six kids too. But he's like, I'm married to my career. Like, yeah, those kids are yeah, somebody but, else is taking care of them. Yeah, oh yeah, no. Um, yeah. but so he says that by later this year they're gonna they're in talks with um FDA, I would guess. So with the FDA on starting human trials, and somebody tweeted him. They said, "I was in a car accident 20 years ago, and I have been paralyzed from the shoulders ever since." I've yeah, from the shoulders ever since. I've, I'm always available for clinical studies at Neuralink. So this person, you know, this kid is just eager. It's like, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm down to be a guinea pig for you. So Elon Musk has been doing a lot of interviews. I really recommend you guys go check him out if you're interested in this. Just uh, He is kind of dry, but the stuff that he says these Neuralinks can do, I find to be insanely impressive so it says Neuralink is uh goal is also to help paralyzed patient easily interact with their cell phones or computers by impacting by implanting the the chip in their brain uh and must recently went on an audio stream uh, clubhouse so he was on clubhouse for like an hour and a half or something and people went nuts. The fact that because Clubhouse, if you don't know, I I did a video on this. Go check it out. It's in our channel. I'll put the link below. But I did a video on how to use Clubhouse for real estate investors. And this app is just it's blowing up. It is for iPhone users. So if you don't have an iPhone, I. But anyway, it is for iPhone users right now. And he went on and he was talking about all the benefits of doing it. He says that they already have a, a chip in the brain of a monkey. And the monkey can play video games through using that chip. So it's crazy. <laughs> he's like, so cool. He's like, well, he says, what would be cool if we can get two monkeys to play brain pong together. So that, you know, that little game with the ball. Yeah. Where so like they want, everything starts like, check out this game. It so goes they, up and down. Yeah. So they yeah. want two monkeys to play against each other. He's like, that would be cool. He's such a nerd. Um, but you can solve everything from memory loss to hearing loss to blindness he was talking about anxiety uh insomnia depression like pretty much all the health stress all the issues that cause a lot of health issues he's saying that with this Neuralink, it can help you you understand it can help you control all of those things so my question to you and everybody listening would you do it would you get a chip installed in your brain I don't think I'd be one of the first people, but I think it would be cool. The fact that it's like, there's so many times of like, you're having like on a mouse, the computer a lot, like how connected to computers we are nowadays where your brain can usually move faster than what your body can react and things like that. So think about moving on a computer. If you're trying to do uh, a certain task, how many times you have to move around, move a mouse with your hand to where if you can think it and it instantly goes over that speed that things mm-hmm. could get done, the efficiency of things like that gets me excited. Like how many times I'm like, ah, I got to go open this spreadsheet. I got to go find this thing. I got to open that, wait for the computer to load up to where if you can connect like the brain to things like that, like that is exciting, especially when it comes to stuff like uh, paraplegics and they're in a car accident. I can't move my legs, but if you're able to hook up to a machine that like, I think it and the machine does it for me since the body can't anymore. I think that has huge potential and especially for quality of life. So 
Yeah. I think it's cool. I don't know if I'd be the first person to do it, but uh, it is uh, one of those things that yeah. I do see like, it's going that route. Like more and more and more of like the exponential exponential technologies of this world and like how things are getting more and more connected. Uh, it's going that route. Now we had this conversation the other day, like if they wound up like basically putting hard drives in your brain where you could back up to them all the time. Like if that happened in the next 15, 20 years and so we'd be in our fifties. So another 20 years goes by. We're in our seventies. Like, where's that going to leave us technologically when you have an entire generation coming up that literally remembers everything. And for, we can't remember the original 50 years of our life. Cause we have to rely on like our old memories and stuff like that. Or well, like, and then also the learning capacity would just be like, I can't compete with so that anymore. It, we can go down a massive rabbit hole with all this because no, we don't need you going on any more rabbit holes. Oh, <laughs> But <laughs> your temperature so, needs to come down a little bit. Yeah, we had Dre say it's too early for blood boiling temperatures. <laughs> but Val Valeria says, uh, nope, uh, people can hack pacemakers. Imagine brain chips. So, oh, this you is know, I, that, that, it's a good point. But one of the things that I think about is look how... Um, how much having a phone has affected us, right? We talked about it the other day of, I remember when I was younger and, you know, what, in my teens, or middle, middle, middle school, high school, I knew all of the girls' phone numbers. I knew all of my family members' phone numbers. You know, I can dial anybody's phone number at any given time. Now, I know my wife's and half of, like, your phone number. You know, and then I got to start doing a variation with the other half. <laughs> I know it's two one zero. That's like yeah. I, got that. I got that part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know so, it's a San Antonio number. It's a San Antonio number, but you know, so you look at it, and it's because of the phones. It's made us to where it's like, well, we don't have to remember all that math. I don't have to remember a lot of the formulas because I could just plug I just it still into love my that phone. analogy, like your high school or middle school seventh grade teacher you're not always gonna have a calculator in your pocket like ha ah, sucker i do not just and that wasn't it you, was like you have it in years. your wrist now i mean yeah. i can pull up my calculator on my on my watch well that's one thing but it also goes those are it, cool. it, i remember the calculator watches those are awesome yeah and there's, there's a watch that you could like lift up and then like secretly have a calculator in your, your watch that, those are cool. um but uh it frees up your mind to remember other things or you're not focusing on yeah. trying to remember cell phone numbers or telephone numbers constantly, or now you can have other things that you can focus so you on. Don't, so you don't think that it would make our brains, I guess, I don't know if the right word would be lazier, but it would make our brains maybe, um, you know, other areas of it, because now we become so dependent on this chip, right, where the rest of the brain is not being worked, or is the chip also going to improve the rest of the brain because it can make it work more efficiently so is it that we're going to be using the chip or is the chip going to be amplifying our brain already i think it'll be amplifying because you look at the human race over the however long you it, it's been around it's like it's always gone for progression like just mm -hmm. naturally that is what the human species does is it tries to survive grow and survive reproduce and grow over time and get more advanced and more technologically or emotionally, whatever it is to be more prosperous and advanced. So I think it would just, it would enhance the ability to do that. Cause I mean, you look at the things that you can get done in the 2000 versus 2020 
It's like we're by far more efficient. We're by far can do more tasks yeah. because we're not remembering certain things. So I think this would be something that would help amplify that aspect of it. Now, to Valeria's point of like the hacking aspect of it, if they can mm -hmm. hack pacemakers, can they hack your brain? Now, that aspect of it is very concerning as well because um, going into the article that I wanted to talk well, about. But with hold on. Before you jump in, it's also who created pacemakers? Keep in mind that this neural link is created by one of the biggest nerds of our lifetime, right? Elon Musk. Like, I'm pretty sure Elon's got yeah, but much better uh, technology and everything than the people that created a freaking pacemaker. Well, but and pacemakers weren't created when shit. I, I, I think, in my opinion, I haven't looked at like the foundation of pacemakers, but um, I don't think they were created with the concept of it being hacked because of how crazy technology is getting where Elon Musk, I think lives 50 years ahead already. So he, well, I think, but he, he's, he even come out saying that human race is inherently flawed. So yeah, he doesn't like the human race and now he's going to put things in our brain. Roll us. So, and he, he, well, there you he's go. that's even, how you improvise, improve the human race. And he's, he's, he's even said you he's, must he's, comply. He's scared shitless of, uh, AI. So it's like, huh? Like, how do you end against that? I mean, it's a, perplexing situation but now keeping on the form of elon musk is that under pressure uh, following pressure from the u.s regulator tesla is recalling a hundred just shy of one hundred thirty-five thousand model s and model x vehicles due to a common touchscreen failure that can lead to the loss of several safety related features while driving owners of the affected cars said their media controls units which would sometimes go blank in part or entirely the touchscreen issue interfered with drivers ability to use heat air conditioning defrost defogging system and use the rear view cameras as and test Tesla autopilot featured while parking and driving and left some feeling too frightened to use their vehicles at all. That's something that blew my mind because also it was basically for Teslas that were made in the Fremont plant in California between 2012 and 2018 and the Model X SUVs from 2016 to 2018. For, now, so this is what also got me about this because Tesla's been in the market a lot. It was one of the biggest winners of 2020 stock market, one of those huge rally. And even Musk has come out and saying, hey, we need to change our business model, do some different things. There's another article about Apple cars that needs to be, needs to be done in order to justify their stock price. Mm -hmm. He's even coming out and yeah. saying like, yeah, we need to figure out some new stuff to even justify this price because it doesn't make sense. But for the year, last year, they delivered 50 cars short of half a million vehicles. That was their biggest production of the year, any year of a half a million cars that they put out in mm -hmm. one year. Now they're recalling 135,000 of cars from 2012 to 2018. To me, it's just like, that is a huge portion of a recall that you're doing when your production line where you might only put out 300 cars that entire year and you're putting out recalling 135,000 of those things. Yeah. And what happens? Their stock price goes up 3%. I think, after, well... Not three, it wouldn't go up 3%. It only dropped 3% from where it's at. Like they missed a target and they're recalling all of these cars. Out. I mean, that's a huge safety issue. That's like, you can't, use rear cameras. You, can't, of cars. you can't use your uh, autopilot features. You can't use defrosters, defro uh, defoggers. And the, some of the, like the signals weren't working on the outside of the car. Yep. We're like how fragile these cars are becoming to where like you got an old Chevy when those things first came out, water pump goes out. Okay. Your car just poof and just goes to the side of the road. 
but those cars weren't able to go from zero to 60 in two and a half seconds yeah and aren't capable of going 180 miles an hour so we're like these safety features go boom they're gone just like that to where like these components where they're so interconnected and they're so dependent on each other that one thing goes wrong and it, they brought it down to, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it was some kind of chip that was made in some part and they traced it down to that, that vehicle. But it's like that one little chip caused those, that many safety features to go out to where you got a lot of these cars. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I do believe that autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles are here and they're not going away and they are going to replace the internal combustion engine. But I think there's a lot of progress that needs to be made to where the U.S. regulators when those pressuring Tesla to do that. Yeah. But Tesla's like, oh, no, 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 there's no problem. There's no problem. I mean, it's, it's parts just wear out. Like, I mean, you bought a car in 2018 and two, yeah. three years later, the car's already worn out. Like, Wait, What is it, an iPhone that you need to <laughs> yeah. replace it every two years? And that's years? where like, they, they come to some of the stuff, they're like all the green movement. But like the batteries in these cars. Like you look at cars from like the 60s, 70s, 50s, 40s, like those things are still out there running. You can still go, but like you get an electric vehicle that was made in like 2020. Like I, what is that going to do to these things in 10, 15 years? They're like, like little toy cars. Are, are they going to be useless because of like, like technology, your cell phone, wherever, two years, three years, you're going to start having problems with your phone. To where yeah, like the software updates like, make it kind of start getting glitchy. So, the software updates that you'd probably need to keep that car, you know, running well, it's probably like, yeah, your car is too old to take the new software update, so you need to upgrade your car. Yeah, and then it's like to get a new car, you're talking another sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars. But I think where that's going is where you and I have always talked about is you know, cars become like your cell phone, like um, you know, your your I don't know any other subscription model that you have. You shouldn't be buying a car. You should be leasing because every two to three years, hand it in, get a new one. Two years, three years, hand it in, get but a new one. But now it comes down to what do you do with the old cars? Like the recycling aspect. I mean, everyone's like green. You need to redo these things. But like these batteries are highly toxic. You can't just like recycle a lot of those parts and things. And now this entire car to where you They seize, do what they've been doing. You throw it into space. Yeah. We just have a giant tube that they just throw it in and just... Nothing's ever gonna make aliens come here. Like, where's all this trash just floating around coming like, from? Oh, is this Saturn? Oh no, that's just the garbage. Oh, yeah, we're just gonna launch it. Dirty planet. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's already I, I I was trying to look for it a while back, but they already showed like how much debris and garbage there is on our atmosphere, outer atmosphere, because of like just old satellites that are no longer operational, debris from when they're building shit up there. They just well, and it's, it just, that it's half the shooting stars that you see is just like junk falling back into orbit and burning up in the atmosphere. So are you saying when we were on a retreat and we had that very romantic moment that we saw like 16 shooting stars that night, you're no, telling that me that wasn't real? No, I did read an article <laughs> that there was some kind of little asteroid belt thing coming okay. through. So because to me, was, that was a special moment. It was space dust falling back there to Earth. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. But it, it is very interesting. Um seeing how these companies are operating seeing the 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 fact that it's like you know you can make bad bets you can do crazy shit and yet you're okay you know what i mean yeah. and i think right now i wonder with elon musk is it that he's too cool right now that people are going to keep investing in tesla just because they love elon musk because that's what i think I think Tesla, the reason it is what it is and it's at where it is, is because they love Elon. 
Like people oh, just yeah. they it, when he said that he was going to be on uh Clubhouse, I don't even I I want to actually go back and do the research as to how many more downloads happen in Clubhouse just because Elon oh, his, was going to be the on power there. he has and with a cell phone and his Twitter account of like this hashtag he, Bitcoin hashtag Bitcoin and he just did something for like dog coin or dodge coin or something like that and just yeah. sent that coin a digital currency through the freaking roof because he mentioned it said i like the technology and then it just boom blew up it was like oh my god i mean and that just goes back to this massive euphoria that's in the market with this money because i mean what happened to gamestop what happened they tried to do to silver what they did to amc yeah. where these companies like there's so much funny money and then it goes back to the government let's pump more money into the system it's like what are you doing? Another $1.9 trillion where like you're causing massive problems. Like, oh, the economy's starving. And like, I get it. Yes, there are parts of the economy that do really need actual help. Yeah. But just dumping money everywhere across all facets. Like, obviously you're causing other massive problems in other areas of technology where like a bunch of people on Reddit can cause that much problem in the stock market. It's like, you're not talking just like, I don't know, hundred people with an extra couple hundred extra dollars. You're talking millions of people with hundreds and thousands of dollars. I mean, hundreds to thousands of dollars oh. that are able to plow into this thing and create. Oh, problems. and then also because of social media, they're able to do it instantly. Come together, yeah, and do it at a scale that damn near you know makes hedge funds lose seventy billion dollars in like a well, course of a few also weeks. What, uh, what gets me about that everyone's like yeah stick it to the hedge funds like do you realize whose money they just lost yeah it's not your, the hedge funds money no it's like they lost 70 billion dollars of your teachers pensions of your government pensions of your insurance companies that insure your house it's like that's whose money they lost as like everyone says i'll oh, stick it to wall street but it's like no that's not a good thing to be cheering about. Yes, it's like, hey, there was, I, I, to some extent, it's like, yes, they shouldn't be making those bets. You should be taught a lesson, but not to where it's like, hey, no, you just lost pension money. Well, lost but that's also the, the risk. Of, like when they make those bets, they are taking a risk. You know, um, yes, they're, you know, they're protected because they are the hedge funds and they're also too big to fail, which is why like, you had uh, the SEC and all these people start stepping in and stop trading to help them kind of like catch up on some of their shorts and everything so the losses wouldn't be as great. Yeah. Um, and they probably know that at the end of the day, they're going to get bailed out if they needed to, you know, because again, moral hazard is no longer an issue. But it's just getting to a point where it's, it's kind of, it, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting to see where the market is heading. Nowadays, like, I think if you have the the fortitude to speculate, all you have to do is kind of follow Elon Musk. Like yeah. as as soon as he tweets something, good or bad, depending on what it is, you go buy it. You buy either call options or you see, buy that's some where put that options. Chip in your brain would become instant. So if you can see Elon tweet, open your brokerage account instantly, and short a you stock in a matter of fractions of a second. What like, I'm oh, curious, I get ahead of everybody. So what I'm curious about with that is. The way my mind works, I'm like, I, either I'm going to drive everything crazy in my office or what the hell is it going to have? Is it going to help like organize my brain a little bit? No. I wonder what that chip is going to do with somebody that's so scatterbrained. And it's going to so, make you more scatterbrained. Can you imagine? More across more areas. It's like, oh yeah, I you mean, can control this with your mind. Boom, everything just short circuits. I'm like, whoops. You know, it, interesting. But kind of going into... um. <clears throat> 
you know, I was going to go into a different article and I'll go to it right after about Open Door. But I wanted to cover this one on the Democrats are moving to propose a new $1,400 stimulus check plan that cuts the number of people eligible for the relief. So what we've been talking about for quite some time is actually them making uh, these stimulus stimulus, right? Not stimulating all you're doing, anything. All you're doing is returning my stolen tax dollars. That's what I call it. This is my tax my tax dollars back. Ooh, sorry, YouTube. He's joking. Kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so the, the, it seems like it's it's uh, being more targeted, which is what I find really funny with all this of uh, what you and I talk about politics and how everything is so just damn political. Like it's not really what does the country need. It's more about you know what's going to keep us in office, what's going to get us elected. That before it was the Republicans pushing for smaller stimulus, more targeted stimulus, all of this. And the Democrats, bigger. We need to go bigger. Everybody needs a check. Everybody needs everything, right? Now that the Democrats are in power, we need to go smaller. We need to get smaller. They want even smaller stimulus. They want smaller everything. And the Republicans are saying the opposite. They're like, we need bigger checks. Everybody needs a check. We need to increase the eligibility for these relief packages. I'm like, my God, you guys flip flop more than. Well, I'm not gonna finish that one because that one I know will offend <laughs> people. But you flip flop a lot. So, <laughs> with that being said, they say the newest version of the plan will provide $1,400 payments to individuals earning $50,000 or below. Married couples making $100,000 or under would receive the full payment. In addition. Heads of households making 120000 and under will get the entire cash payment as well. Biden's rescue plan would provide the full $1,400 payment to individuals. You just kind of earning 75 or below in couples. Yeah, this is the same article. That's. <laughs> I was like, you just said they're changing it, but now yeah. that's probably what his original plan was. That's um, yeah, the original plan was that because that mimics what the plan was before what qualified you for the first two checks yeah so now this fourteen hundred dollar one is like hey we're going to go ahead and make this smaller so i think that's what that aspect was that was biden's original package and in a effort to compromise to make it bipartisan they're lowering the threshold on the package which to me that just blows my mind it's like okay so we're going to lower payments to individuals but we're still going to keep the payments to Early run states and governments, super high. We're going to pay money to failing businesses just to keep these zombie companies alive. It's like, but we're going to lower payments to the actual individuals. I mean, it's like you're cutting this from the completely wrong place. It's like, that's to me is just retarded. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, it. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading the article again and it's still saying the same exact thing. Like it's saying it at the top is one thing and then here. At the in the middle of the article, it says this, what Way I just read. Way to do your homework, John. Oh, hey, headline reader. Yeah, headline reader. No, I'm a I'm an article skimmer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what what I find interesting is um, so they're they're talking about all this that now they're they're wanting to cut it and they're wanting to uh, make it more targeted to who receives it, which you know, okay, makes sense. But the argument that the Republicans were having is that. These income gap, these uh, income thresholds, they're like there's places of the country where people are making more than that $50,000, but 
that doesn't that's not good in those I areas. I can imagine in New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, like any of these places that like there's big metropolitans with lots of money, like in the stretch of the coast. Let's yeah. call it that. Like yeah, fifty grand doesn't really get you anywhere no. out there. I mean, you're just barely making it by at fifty thousand dollars. But here in like San Antonio, like on fifty grand, you're you're doing right. You can go out to restaurants. You can take vacations. You can go do things on fifty grand a year here. But yeah, if you live in Southern California, the Silicon Valley, um, New York, Connecticut, DC. Well, I mean, when we were when I was in New York and uh, Val and I were both working, we had a one bedroom apartment. And this is not in the city. We're like an hour and a half outside of the city in the suburb area, and we were making I want to say like sixty five grand maybe a year together. You know, it wasn't filler money, um, but we were barely paycheck to paycheck. I mean, we had a credit card debt. We had everything. And, and this was eight, nine years ago. So, you know what I mean? Like, and now it's gotten worse because uh, even though they want to say there's no inflation, go grocery shopping. I'm sure you're spending more, you know, your gas, you're spending more. So things have gotten more expensive. So it's like, yeah, I, I think you do need to adjust for that. But then at the same time, it's like, you got to kind of think about it when you're doing these stimulus packages and stuff like that. It's like you got to create an, a program where it's like if you don't need the money, then you have to be able to give it back somewhere, somehow, you know, through taxes, when you do your taxes at the end of the year or something like that, where you're not just like giving all this free money around. And obviously, that's their, their, that is their goal to stimulate the economy is like flood the people that don't need the money because then they'll go out and buy shit. Oh yeah. Cause but, that's worked so well in the past. Exactly. But what we what see is it? we don't see that. We see people doing dumb shit with their money. I saw another article where it said of the original 1200, the first $1,200 check, the people that made above like 50,000 or $40,000 only spent like $110 yeah. in the economy of that amount. It's like the majority of it just went into savings for the most people. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, is the fear, right? Most people have this fear of what the hell is going to happen. You know, we, we lost our jobs, all this. I mean, we have friends in the airline space that they became even bigger savers. I mean, they're already very fiscally sound, but they became even bigger savers because now they don't know. Even though the, the airlines are like, hey, everybody's going to get back to work. Then we hear recently that like, Okay, we might furlough a couple more thousand people. Well, and it's pandering so they can push this to get this next round of stimulus again. Because I'm sure the government has money in there for the airline industry um, to keep them floated again for another. I mean, you're taking that up to a year now. Because like, I think it's supposed <laughs> to end in March, which takes you to a year. And then now they're going to get another bailout and more money to go even further. This is like, oh yes. my God. Uh, I'm curious if they're going to do more of the student loan aspect that they've all been talking about doing with, with this package. Uh, Cause I saw, I read an article on it that was up by the, the fourth, which was yesterday that they put out about it, but it, it really didn't allude to much, but they're still pushing in there to get an extra 10 to $50,000. And it's not no second grade freshman congressman either. It's Chuck Schumer. It's uh, Elizabeth Warren. These people are Bernie Sanders, people that are heads of committees in the democratic party. So is that going to be put in here too? Who knows? Because that's one thing. Like they passed the resolution or passed it, was it yesterday or the day before in the House, the the budget to send it to the Senate, but they didn't make it public yet. So mm. all of this stuff is just kind of still speculation of what's really in it. They kind of got some highlights of what it looked like when it went in, but nothing has really come out of what the full bill is. They haven't made it public yet. Yeah. So it's like okay, so you're passing things, and but yet the public doesn't know what you're passing. It's like that's great for government people we elect to actually run this place to run. 
See, do major. It's not secrecy, John. Bills. It's called politics. That's what always happens. I mean, you know, this is, that's why the biggest laws and everything gets passed during like holidays and weekends and shit. So people can't anticipate, you know, they can't do anything about it. Well, here's something that or pay uh, attention to it. Bring this to real estate a little bit of uh, Biden's stimulus could worsen affordable housing crisis. And something we've talked about in this past about uh, aspects, and this is done by Housing Wire, that Housing Wire creating all this more like, oh, we're going to give all these incentives to be home buyers. It's like, that is not the problem or the solution. We're already at record low inventory levels, record level of rising rents and prices, adding more incentives to be buyers. Like the free yeah. market will adjust to that so fast that you're going to get a small little bump to things of home ownership, but that's it. Well, so they, they, they will adjust or they're already anticipating it. I mean, we, we've, cause we talked about it plenty of times on Coffee with the Johns previous episodes that we know that's what's going to be coming down the line. So you already have a lot of the builders, investors. Then you also have a lot of the the speculators in the stock market and everything already anticipating that the housing market is like they're going to keep stimulating it yeah, as much yeah. as they can. So this article goes on to say that the nation's most influential house housing trade group sent a letter to the House Committee on Financial Services saying any new stimulus package considered would need to have rental assistance and warned of dire consequences if it does not. And we're not talking small groups here. So I mean, some big household names like the housing group includes CCIM Institute, Council of Affordable and Rural Housing, Institute of Real Estate Management, Manufacturer Housing Institute, Mortgage Brokers Association, National Affordable Housing Management Association, National Apartment Association, National Realtors. I mean, list goes on and on. Basically, every expert of every organization in real estate is sending a letter to Congress being like, hey, you really need to figure this out. So, or rethink your your approach here and the consequences that could come from it right. in the letter the trade group urged congress to move beyond the one-size-fits-all federal housing policy in favor of a more tailored approach president joe biden's america rescue plan stimulus proposes a continuation of previously placed policies for the rental sector such as an extension of federal eviction and moratoriums meaning that they're not going to give any money to help these landlords. They're just going to say, hey, figure it out yourself because you can't evict anybody. For now, we're going on a better part of a year, and they're going to extend this even further until they're talking September. You're talking 18 months that you can't evict and you can't uh, get income coming in yourself, and then they're not going to give enough money to those people to replace them. Like, So what is that really going to do? So, hmm. it's, so the organization propose instead a rental assistance plan to be considered. We strongly support the inclusion of additional rental assistance in the American Rescue Plan. The letter states, without additional robust direct rental assistance beyond the newly proposed $25 billion, housing providers may never fully recover outstanding debt, whether through the eviction process or otherwise. And the housing affordability crisis will be exacerbated in the long and short term. This could devastate the industry and hurt America's most vulnerable renters. The apartment industry faces an estimated $60 billion in lost rents for 2020, according to the study. So my thoughts on that is like, yes, you're going to give $25 billion. It's like there is way more needed than that in that aspect of it, where they're trying to help like the individuals saying, oh, you can't evict people. We're going to give them $1,400 checks and stuff like that. It's like at some point, these people can't hold on to these mortgages. They can't hold on to these houses because no. there is leverage involved. So what happens to these houses? They defer the maintenance. 
They don't respond to uh, tenants. They don't evict them. Like when you strap them for cash, the house itself, the asset itself goes into disrepair. Well, then the government steps in like you were talking a while back about New York saying like, oh, now we're going to tax you that you need to maintain that business or we're going to fine you for it and putting it all on the landlord. But they're not they're cutting off their income streams, putting more regulations on the housing and what you're allowed to do with that house. And at some point, it's like I I do agree that it's going to hurt the industry drastically if you don't get this figured out and open the damn economy back up. Let people go back to work. Stop giving them free money to stay home and giving them all kinds of extra assurances and then not allowing their landlords to remove them to replace their income. Because you're otherwise you are going to create a plethora of dilapidated houses that are going to go back to banks. And then now you're back into a huge housing crisis again that you had uh, just 12 or, years ago. Or what we had in, uh, in New York when I started investing in real estate or trying to get into it is a bunch of... Uh, ghost inventory right and ghost inventory for those of you that may not know is pretty much the bank took back so many properties that they don't want to drop them on the market because it would tank the real estate market Sink their other performing things exactly so they just hold on to these vacant homes that are just empty i remember i I have i had gotten in to see a few of them they had they were flooded so bad because in new york we have basements and a lot of houses had hardwood floors. So the basements were flooded with two feet of water. And then the, the for pretty much the first floor, the next level up, the floor, the wooden floor was bowed like, like two inches high of the, how much humidity was in the house. Just destroying the the wood floors, the mold downstairs, everything. Well, you have what and, you had here in San Antonio when you get to east and west side uh, going through the last decade. I mean, you had houses that were just worthless. And you could tell, like, like that house we purchased where, like, it was literally sitting on the ground. And it probably sh- should have torn down. But um, kind of did almost. Just <laughs> yeah, left we one wall. Yeah, rebuilt 90% of it. But that's like, you're not talking a few years of neglect there. You're talking yeah. years and years and decades of neglect to that property to get into that bad of a situation. That's what's going to happen if you take this inventory and or you penalize those people. So tying right into that is uh, why mortgage lending standards will ease in 2021. So economists and housing experts say mortgage lending standards will likely loosen in 2021, despite the increased risk of delinquencies ahead. As the economy reopens and the COVID-19 vaccine beats back the threat of the virus, economists expect the loosening of credit will only increase consumer demand for loans, including mortgages, including mortgages. Over the pandemic, a record number of U.S. households reduced their debt loads, giving them better shot at new mortgages. Such a scenario illustrates the growing disparities in the U.S. housing market as one struggling group of homeowners braces for the end of forbearance and navigates the COVID-19-related economic shock. Another segment is better positioned than ever to scoop up properties that became available. Nevertheless, the fact that high-income households have far so much better than low-income ones over the past years means that that there may still be a lack of access to credit for low-income households even if underwriting standards ease somewhat this year. My thought on that is, with the Democrats in power and then pushing for the lower to middle families, are they really going? To, are they going to start penalize real estate investors to try and move, to try and force more inventory onto the market? So, like we talked about, the taxes that they're doing with the capital gains, doubling those taxes and stuff like that, where it doesn't incentivize you so much to buy a house, hold on to it for ten years, and sell it with massive, huge appreciation because. 
forty percent, forty cents of every dollar you gain, yeah. now goes and gets paid in taxes to where like, hey, I'm gonna go invest that somewhere else to get that income to produce more. So that's where I tie that into the last article is you have renters out people that are professional real estate investors and old hold all their real estate there to where they're not getting the money and they're having to liquidate properties. When you have this new group of high income people coming in and able to pay those prices because they have access to the credit because you have this last year where, Hey, most there's, if you made 75 and above and we're in a professional setting outside of some of these few industries, you were doing pretty well, if not better, especially if you're involved in some form of technology where they have the money, they have the tech, the access to credit to now the step in to where when you put this inventory in the market, it should bring prices down. But now you have all these people jumping and saying, Hey, I made a bunch of money. And I know this euphoria around real estate makes you money over time. I'm going to jump in and buy all that inventory, keeping prices inflated where if the Democrats pass something that says like, Hey, penalizing real estate investors, like they're doing in California, where if it's foreclosed, you I think what was it six months that mm -hmm. before an investor can buy that house that it has to go to homeowners try to go to homeowners first are they going to create some kind of program and create more red tape yeah. in in the industry we well, work in supposedly the city was going to jump in and buy a lot of them to have the, for them to have the inventory to help provide this inventory to people that normally wouldn't get a house and stuff like that so it's like so you're trying to provide this to people that it's not that they can't get a house, it's that they can't afford a house. Yeah. So you're going to buy it and artificially make it so they can own a home. What is that gonna look like, right? Are you gonna, by doing that, are you gonna affect the housing prices, right? By decreasing the cost of the house? Or are you gonna make these people pretty much buy homes that's gonna put them in a position that's gonna be like, look, you, you know, good luck, here's a house. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what does that actually well, look like? That's what caused the financial crisis in the last place. It wasn't the bank speculating. It's the government and the regulations that they put on where I think it was coming out of the Clinton into the Bush administration. where like, everybody needs to get a house. Everyone should afford a house. FHA, lower the limits, lower the regulations, allow these yeah. ninja loans and stuff like that. So it wasn't the banks. The banks were going off an incentive from the government. Well, it's never the, direction the banks. Of the, government. The, the banks, like any corporation, like everything... They're there for the bottom line is to increase their profits. It's the incentives that the government gives what dictates what companies and, and banks and everybody does. If there's no incentive, they're not going to do it because if yep. they're not going to make money, they're not going to do it. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, we follow the incentives. But uh, this next article that I wanted to talk about was mortgage refinancing suddenly surges, but home buyers stall due to sticker shock. So. We're having an insane amount of refis coming um, through the market. Man, look at all that snow. Fucking Northeast got hit hard with snow, man. God bless it. Living. Thank Ooh. God I live in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, my, my father-in-law sent some pictures and videos and stuff. I was like, ooh, that looks so pretty from over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like, what, like 79 degrees yesterday, sunny, nice weather. Oh, yeah. day outside. Like, oh, yeah, man. Great breeze. But, but anyway. uh sidetracked a little bit. So in this article, they, we're talking about applications to refinance jumped 11% last week from the previous week. Demand was up 59% uh, higher than a year ago. The move was spurred by a decline in interest rates. So you have the average contract interest rate, 30-year uh, loan is down 
for let's see, conforming loan balances of 548,000 or less decreased to 2.92%. Free money. That's some low as interest rates. Buyers are less impressed by the drop in the rates and likely more frustrated by the overheated, uh, overheated home prices and record low supply of homes. So mortgage applications to purchase a home were essentially flat for, for the week, rising just 0.1%. So mortgage applications for new home purchases, up 0.1%. So almost nothing. Uh, purchase demand was 16% higher than a year ago, but annual comparison has been shrinking during the past month. So my thoughts, really, re, uh, really high refis plus very low inventory equals rentals. <laughs> like you should be having <laughs> rentals because yeah, because right now with that kind of market, you know, that we have right now that everybody is more prone to refinancing, which means even lower inventories. Because if you're refinancing now, I doubt you're going to be selling in the next couple of years. You're refinancing. Yeah. You're probably thinking, all right, look, let's refi. Let's get these low interest rates. Maybe pull some money out. Let's update the kitchen. Let's maybe do an addition. Like right now, if I would actually be looking at creating a construction company. Obviously, knowing construction, please stop creating construction company because one day you painted a house. Um, you know, but it starts though. Yeah, um, I watch a lot of HGTV. But if you had a construction company right now, I think the people that are going to be needing remodels, additions, uh, updates, you know, getting creative with how they make the best use of their home and all that is going to go through the roof. Because nobody's going to be looking to sell because they're looking at their home and it's like, well, I have this house where the mortgage is amazing. The interest rates are low. I can afford this. But if I sell this house, yeah, I could probably sell it for a good amount of money, but I'm getting less or the same or less of a house if I move somewhere else yeah. with a higher mortgage, right? Because now you're probably paying more to get a nicer house. And this one, at least you know what quirks or whatever it has. So it's stopping people from selling which is gonna keep causing more uh, pressure on the inventory. And you put out the market update uh, Sunday, so if you haven't checked it out, again, the links are gonna be below and or just go on our channel. But the market update, I mean, over six zip codes. It, it, it was over six, but six, but the hottest six zip Lowest codes. Lowest of inventory. Under one month of inventory. And, not, mean, and these aren't small zip codes. Either. No. It's basically like the entire northeast, northwest, north side of the city. Like several of those zip codes, like like very well developed, heavily developed areas. And like the medium price home on those zip codes was what Freaking, over two hundred exactly over two hundred grand. So these are not like your lower end zip codes, right? And they're insane the, how hot and how fast these homes are selling. And we're seeing it left and right. People are outbidding. For on the retail market, you know, this is why we talked about before, and I'm actually we're dropping a new episode this Wednesday, um, on why you should stop wholesaling houses and why you should start hoteling houses. Even if you're flipping houses, stop. Like run your numbers. There are chances that you can make the same or maybe a little bit less profit by doing a hotel and with a lot less risk. Right. Because now you don't have to take the risk of renovating the house. 
because there's such low inventory, especially if you're in these hot areas and you're targeting the zip codes the way that we target them, you're going to just need to put a house that's livable on the market and it's going to sell and you're going to make some great money on it. So you, we're having a lot of pressure from this, from this market, from the buyers, from all of this. And, you know, it's just, it's putting a lot more pressure on this, on the, on the market. Hey, podcast, if you feel like you are learning things that you're going to be able to implement ASAP to grow your business, then all I ask is that you click the link in the description for the YouTube video, hop on YouTube real quick and hit that like button. Means the world to me that you do that. It, it matters so much for us to increase our reach and, and the people that we can serve better. So just jump on, hit that link, jump on, it takes a second to do, hit that like button, means the world to me. Thank you for listening and keep enjoying the show. What do you, you have any thoughts on that? I have another article here. Uh, I mean, no, we've, I mean, I don't want to kind of beat a dead horse. I wasn't going to use that analogy, but yeah. And well, I don't to keep going on the same well, thing. Is that over animal over. cruelty? We're not anymore. actually beating a dead horse, <laughs> I have people. No idea. All right, but, yeah, but we keep going around the same thing. So, so yeah. we have the CFPB doubles down on mortgage servicing enforcements. Promise bold and swift action to send a message. So you have the new acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Dave Wehio. Wehio told staff in an email on Thursday that the bureau will direct its attention to mortgage servicers. Uh, promising aggressive action to ensure companies follow the law. And they're, they're really cracking down on this. And one thing we can do immediately is to focus our supervision and enforcement tools on overseeing the companies responsible for COVID relief. Um, I'm concerned about the findings described in last week's uh, supervisory highlights edition that companies are failing to properly administer relief through the crisis. So the biggest issue that all of this is having is they're saying that because of COVID and everything that's been happening, there are a lot of servicers that are not doing the job of reaching out to the lenders, no, to the borrowers, letting them know what their options are. So even though, like they say, that forbearance rates have fallen, they're like, that's because actually a lot of people don't understand what forbearance is. They don't understand what their options are. So they actually have put out more uh, language saying that if you do go into forbearance, there is a plan in place to help you after the forbearance period. There's already, there's going to be talks about what they call loss mitigation. So loss mitigation is a fancy term for either they're going to foreclose on you or they're going to do a loan modification, right? So that's their loss mitigation because they're investors. At the end of the day, they're investors. So yeah. it's mitigating their loss. The best way to do it is maybe a foreclosure, short sale, or a loan mod, right? So they're saying that they need to get their shit together. Um, and, and that's a quote. <laughs> that was in the article. That, yeah, he actually said that. Um, and they need to be reaching out to borrowers more. They need to be educating borrowers. They need to be getting ready um, to go ahead and help these people that are falling further and further behind and that are not filing for these things. And then uh, on this other article, 
um, also, Housing Wire is a great resource for all, anybody that is looking for yeah, real estate news. We have like news. four or five articles from that one. Uh, yeah, I, I love that site. They have some really good, and they they tend to be kind of uh, unbiased. Like they're not really. They're just what I what I think we try to do. Right? Is even though we may sound biased, but we're just biased towards what we consider to be just common sense. Like we want the economy to be strong. We want people to fend for themselves and businesses to survive. You know how crazy of us. But anyway, um, this next article is HUD extends waivers for FHA and reverse mortgages. Um, so you have the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, announced on Wednesday uh, a series of temporary waivers that will allow servicers to use alternative methods when servicing FHA-insured forward and reverse mortgages. So forward mortgages are just mortgages. Regular oh, I was mortgages. gonna say like, what is a forward mortgage? Yeah, well, I I assumed I knew what it was, but then I was like, let me just Google that shit because I was like, is this something new? But I think it's just so they can say reverse. They use yes, the word they hold forward. forward. Yeah, forward mortgages. Regular mortgage, just um, mortgage. Yeah. So rather than conducting face to face, HUD is making a lot of substitutions uh, to do phone interv phone interviews, video calling services, and other conference technologies. Uh, to conduct interviews with borrowers of FHA-insured mortgages, reverse or forward mortgages, when performing early default interventions speci uh, specifically for borrowers in dangers of foreclosures. So they, all the servicers, FHA, HUD, everybody is coming together and they're anticipating a massive surge of people needing help. They're, they're saying, like, we need to hire more people. We need to put systems in place. We need to figure out how to streamline this to do the loss mitigation. This means that we need to be able to conduct foreclosures virtually. We need to be able oh to... Oh, my God. Yeah, like, they're, they're looking at, like, streamlining and speeding this up. So when this shit hits, they're not waiting on all these people that just keep getting further and further behind and... Uh, because of that, and we're, obviously that's starting to happen, HUD is also waiving the $5,000 property charge payment uh, arrearages, arrearages, that's an interesting one, cap for reverse mortgage borrowers who are behind on their payments. So what that means is that before there was a cap, like if you hit, if you went over $5,000, um, so when a borrower fails to make two consecutive payments on a home equity conversion mortgage repayment plan, the plan fails and servicers may only offer the borrower a new repayment plan. If the borrower's total ar arrearage, arrearage is less than 5K, so the new waiver will allow the servicer to evaluate impact the borrowers regardless of how far behind they are. So... What is we talk about this a lot in this show, right? The point of all of this is to look at the trends that are developing, right? And that's when you read these articles, what is the trend that we're seeing? Again, the servicers, FHA, HUD, everybody is expecting a massive spike in distress because they're seeing the numbers. They're seeing how many people are behind on their payments. They're seeing the percentages of people that have missed more than 90 days, but they're not in forbearance. You understand? So they're seeing all these numbers and they're like, we're going to have a huge issue as soon as the this kind of thing stops, if it ever stops, <laughs> of uh, postponing foreclosures and all of this. 
when that happens, the servicers are covering their ass right now. They're like, loss mitigation to, to the go. max. Well, and it's also going back to the articles we talked about of like this new stimulus package and not including money for renter assistant to get money to the people that actually own these homes. They're just saying like, we're just going to extend these things to where putting the, pushing the pain onto the quote unquote investors, your mom and pop shops that don't have the liquidity cap like we've talked about. And like, that's probably where this is going to come from is it's over or over leveraged landlords that are in these areas where tenants haven't been paying or aren't paying and taking this unemployment and be like, "Eh, or have very loose, um, stimulus, uh, loose laws for tenants and landlords to where it's like here in Texas, San Antonio, it's like, even if they're not paying, like there's a process that they have to really go through in order to not get evicted. It's not just, Oh, I don't want to pay. Even though I have the money, not going to do it. So uh, some of the other places I'm sure you had another article in here about the roof could cave in the San Antonio housing market. Yeah. So uh, I think that ties into this a little bit about what they're expecting. Cause like the article put in, there's like not a single city was in California. Of off the article, but it's like uh, it's that's hilarious. where this problem well, starts. Honestly, honestly, like uh, we talked about a little bit yesterday, that I feel like this was a clickbait kind of headline that the roof could cave in on the San Antonio housing market. Study warns. Um, so it's kind of funny because out of the forty cities, seven of them were in Texas and none in California. I was like, where home prices are extremely high and the economy has been locked down and people are leaving in mass amounts of, you know, of just millions of, oh, I don't know, millions, but a lot of people are leaving. Well, probably millions. They have a lot of people, but the study shows uh, San Antonio among 40 U.S. cities that could be facing a faltering housing market, one largely triggered by the pandemic. Um, all 40 are among the 200 largest cities. Uh, states such as Texas, for example, are disproportionately represented with seven cities. California, on the other hand, doesn't have a single, despite the population of nearly 40 million in some of the most expensive housing markets in America. Although uh, although today's housing market is largely hot, experts are bracing for a wave of evictions triggered by pandemic-related disruptions that they fear could be the catalyst for a different kind of housing crisis that could rival even the dreariest days of the Great Recession, all with the COVID-19 still far from contained. So seems very one-sided article. When you look at like the economic data of like where people are moving, you look at those U-Haul rates, like where economies are growing and where they're shrinking. And they're saying like, oh, nope, those places that are growing have all those people and all those jobs and all those companies being relocated to, they're going to have the housing crisis. Not the places that people are leaving that can't get out to work and are so expensive they can't even afford to buy anything. Like, no, they're not going to have a problem. Like, that's just like, okay. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things that like, you can't just read one article. You got to look at the overall yeah. picture of the economy and kind of, you know, gauge yourself. What, what, what is that going to mean? But for its studies, they went to gobankingrates.com, combed through the data uh, from the U.S. Census Bureau, which I was actually interested to see if uh, we can use these factors to for the next market update to kind of see what data they provide. But the U.S. Census Bureau, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, and Realty Track, and examining factors such as mortgage delinquencies, foreclosures, and homeowner and rental vacancy rates. 
The study showed 3.6% of mortgages in San Antonio were 30 to 89 days delinquent and 1% were at least 90 days delinquent. So 89 days and 1% was 90 days. That's what I was saying. Like, 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 I don't understand this okay. article we're saying. And then like they end it with like, the city is among the, one of the country's most popular places for millennial home buyers and is increasingly heralded as a top city for tech companies looking to relocate from the east and west coast. And, like, and, and how did you not spin just that? that, but like we are still one of the most affordable cities in Texas, right? The, the cost of living, everything is substantially lower than all the other major metros. So it, it's just something that you got to look at these articles. And to me, like I said, I think it's a lot of clickbait. Um, they say the foreclosure rate in one of in is okay. The foreclosure rate is one in every eighty one hundred homes, and the homeowner vacancy rate is one point nine percent. I I'm just like I don't get it. So the seven Texas cities are San Antonio, Corpus Christi, Kylene, 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 Armadillo. Not Armadillo. Yeah, well, no, I was going to say Amarillo, Amarillo, but Armadillo. It's American. El Paso, uh, Brownsville, and Laredo. What's that? El Paso? It's, it's an American accent. No. El Paso? No, it's El Paso. Dude, it's El Paso. Stop it. <laughs> I want my queso with my tortillas. Um. So, yeah. So, you look at articles like this, and it's just kind of like, guys, uh, look at the whole market. You know, look at everything, because... I think again, this is these are these uh, clickbait articles. That's like you're really not. Well, saying it seems anything. like it's like, even though it's done by like it's, what was it, San Antonio, San Antonio Culture dot com or something like that. Like, yeah, how did you spin that at all to say, oh, this wave of evictions? It's like evictions doesn't create home sales. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the only thing that's going to bring the market down is if buyers stop buying. And companies stop relocating here. But when you look at things, it's like, I really don't see that slowing down anytime soon to where like Abbott's talked about is like the number of companies that I've been talking to that are wanting to move to Texas to where he said, what was it from 2010 to 2020? It was like 200 of them had moved here. Yeah. But like in the last year and a half, there was like 90 of them. Whereas in the last amount of time, like moving here, it's like, um, okay, I don't see where you're getting at in how you're making that spin off to where it's going to be a housing crisis, but it's right. nuts. But uh, I guess I could define a housing crisis. Like, Oh my God, they can spend the article. Like there's 20% more inventory in the market. Yeah. When you're starting at 2% like, in months of inventory yeah. and you have, or two months of inventory, that extra 20% is like, that's two and a half months. Yeah. I mean, we're, and we're looking at, again, the, the amount, like we talked about before, you're, people are complaining how expensive houses are. Right. So, you have people complaining about how expensive houses are. That means that why are they going to be foreclosed on, right? A lot of these people have more than enough equity on these properties. Yeah. That, yeah, they might be forced to sell, right, and downsize. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to probably move to a rental. Because right now, what you got to look at as far as what to invest in is you have, if you can rent a house, updated or in great conditions and it's less than your mortgage most people are going to do that you understand because that that's kind of where we're going right now because rents take a while to catch up to rising prices because rents are year-long leases right and sometimes like ourselves that we have tenants that do two-year leases 18-month leases right so 
And then when it's time to renew, sometimes we we had a discussion the other day of like, should we increase it, not increase it? Like, yes, it makes financial sense. But a point that you brought up, it's like, well, it might make financial sense, but does it make you know sense as far as risking losing the tenant, having a turnover, right? So it's it's a lot of things you got to consider. So maybe we don't raise the rents. That also affects the market. So you have all of these things. So rents are uh, everywhere we're looking at them. They are pretty freaking low compared to what it would cost to buy that house. Well, and have a, a lot of places it's still cheaper to rent than to service a mortgage in a lot of the country. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah. Um, but tee up another article for you is like, but you got your eye buyers that you can sell everything to. Eye buyers. Yeah, the, the open door revenue. Uh, how I plummeted forty five percent in twenty. Yeah. So open door, um, one of these awesome businesses that we love. Um revenue plummeted forty five percent in twenty twenty. iBuyer looks to raise seven hundred million dollars because they're so optimistic. You know, I mean it's like, you know, we're good, guys. Come on, we just take another round of easy money from these silly investors and we'll We'll prop up the stock prices. Well, I mean, We're they're good. taking advantage of a, a, a overly inflated market with a lot of extra cash. Where they're like, they, you put in here, they're trying to raise six hundred million dollars through the public markets, like at all time highs, and this euphoria that's in the market, betting yep. on these random speculative uh, things. Like, yeah, that's how they survive. But it goes back to the same thing: like you're creating zombie companies that they're selling money just to trying to stay alive when they're losing. I mean, they lost forty five percent year over year, and it's like. I'm curious how much money they net lost over the year. Yeah, their mm -hmm. revenue dropped 45%. It's just like... Well, it, it's a Ponzi scheme, essentially, because they're taking the money from uh, new investors to pay, to keep the business pretty much going, to keep giving the returns to the old investors. And it's like, you're not generating revenue. You are borrowing revenue. Yeah. You understand? You're taking in revenue. So this $600 million that they're they're trying to raise is to be able to provide more stock options uh, for people to buy because they feel that with this six, $600 million and the stock options and everything dumping into the market, they think that they can raise a little over $700 million to help fund their, their speculation. And they say the main purpose of this offering is to increase capitalization and financial flexibility. Of course, you know, we need to be flexible. In addition, we plan to continue investing in 2021 to double the market we serve. So it's double down, double down. Eventually, the econ economies of scale, or eventually, we just become too big that they, we own too many properties that if we fail, we tank the housing market. Yeah. So they're kind of hedging themselves, like saying, guys, we just need to buy enough properties where the government needs to step in and take care of us. Because it's going to be like, well, okay, but we have X number of inventory. What are you going to do? Right? So open door forecast revenues of $10 billion by 2023 by gaining 4% of the U.S. housing market. It could become a $50 billion company. Yeah. Um, when like you have drastically overestimated, like you're going to get 4% of the housing market off of your model when you lose billions of dollars every year. Just trying to gain enough traction and systemize everything at the what is it, vertical integration of yeah. companies for probably mortgages, title services, everything. They're like, wow. And, you know, when you have massive checks written to you with no worries of failing, yeah, 
sky's the limit. Yep. You know, what? Yep. what's really stopping you from becoming a massive company? It's like, well, there is no risk. We just, all we have to do is just do another round of funding, you know? And more money. Just, just go out and give we, more money. We're hashtag blessed. So we're good to go. And then kind of touching on, on these uh, crazy companies, uh, the next article is, oh, damn you, Business Insider. So I could have sworn I added the other article. Um, but anyway. That was very exacerbated. <laughs> like, I was like, man, did everything just crash? What happened? Like, no. article made you mad. Freaking, <laughs> because now everything, oh my, like we have to have a, literally a subscription to damn near Every news site, because now, like, every story is paid. Oh, yeah, because now you've got these privacy issues coming out with like, Apple and stuff. they got to get the revenue somewhere else. They can't share, sell data anymore. they got to oh, get the revenue somewhere else. So, you and your conspiracy oh, theories. That, that tees up <laughs> yeah. another article for you. But, well, I wanted to cover this one first. So, uh, Robinhood makes hundreds of millions of dollars from selling customer orders. That business model is about to come into focus. So, Robinhood's whole model is they offer free stocks and options trading because usually any other platform, they, they charge you to trade, they charge you per trade and all that. Instead of generating revenue from trading commissions as brokerages have done in the past, Robinhood led the charge in making money from what's called payment for order flow. P-F-O-F. P-F-O-F. Make an acronym for everything. P-F-O-F. Uh, Robinhood sells its customers buy and sell orders directly to the market making firms such as Citadel, Citadel Securities, Citadel Securities Virtue, and Two Sigma, as opposed to going to the trading venue. High-profile VC investor Bill Gurley called the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to ban the puff, describing, uh, if somebody knows how to pronounce that, you know, I'm free to learn. Uh, describing it as a key issue in the so-called plumbing of the financial markets. In the fourth quarter of 2020, Robinhood, in the fourth quarter, Robinhood received more than 221 million in puff. Pfoff. 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 Puff anonymous. <laughs> for, <laughs> damn you! Um, for equities and options flow, according to the data collected by Piper Sandler. Sandler uh, from regulatory filings. The amount was larger than competitors E-Trade. So Robinhood did 221, E-Trade did 107, Charles Schwab did 63, but TD Ameritrade th did 322. The difference being T uh, TD Ameritrade did 322. What's that, like about 50% more? 322 million yeah. uh, to yeah. 21 million. yeah just, just they, so they made 50 percent more but sold more than twice as much volume to the market makers than robin hood so they made 50 percent more by doing twice the volume so robin hood is making a good killing on this my well, thing is game. like they're un undercutting the market doing twice the volume but doing it at half the cost exactly it, well, i'm not you know entrepreneurship Capitalism. right but it's also the they're making money like, doing that you're you're pissing off big money by doing this shit right and yep. especially with all the uh, you know by having these low barriers of entry we kind of go into the the whole thing with wholesalers you know how they kind of screw up the real estate market and you robin hood is kind of like the wholesaler of uh of the stock market if they succeed 
to push the SEC to ban PFOF. PFOF. Uh, PFOF. Um, that essentially puts Robinhood out of business. Well, that's their only form of business. So it's like, oh, you got a problem. But that's the thing we always talk about. It's like they just got to take enough market share to gain enough power to where they can't do that because they'll spin it in a way that look, look how many in beginning new investors are able to enter the stock market for the first time. They've never been able to do it before because of the things that we're doing. Yeah. Like we are good for the market. We're good for the commerce. We're good for the thing, even though it's our traders that were able to run up GameStop stock and be able and to do all this, you know, all this extra stuff that they did. So, well now, I mean, you, you saw them. We, I mean, we don't have the article or anything, but they're, they're pushing silver. They're going after pretty much anything that they want, whatever they feel, you know, well, Hey, we can fuck with the economy here. Let's do it. Well, eventually they're going to, you, it can't go on forever because all the people that bought in GameStop late are, they're just running out of gas. It's like, we're all the money that they're putting in. Like the people that are starting this thing are taking it and seeing how many times they can do that. But they're the ones winning and all the little guy with the $600 check yeah. that bought at GameStop 300 saying it's going to go to a thousand. And now it's back under like 70 bucks to where it's like, but, you can't keep, you're going to run out of that money eventually. Well, I mean, I guess and, you get another round of stimulus out here. They can do it again. Exactly. So I, I did want to, uh, we're, we're going to start wrapping up now. Cause, uh, have, I have to shoot downtown, uh, or South side now to go you, look you at can, a house. You can drive, you can shoot. Why? Fun. You go driving with the windows down. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, school. um, we have this, uh, you know, you talk about like, there aren't any decent people left on this world and all this. Nobody cares about anybody. But the stories like this that really um, make me really emotional, you know, it's something this that is what gets you emotional. It, it, yeah, the... it touches me very deep down in that little crevice I have of my heart. Um, it's it's just so so impactful that we have people like this. So, Democrats unveil plan to provide every American child with a thousand dollar savings account that can be accessed at age eighteen. I mean, oh my God. This guy, you know, Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, can can we go ahead and just put this guy on the Hall of Fame for charitable donations? So you have Senator Cory Booker. Um, I can't stand this guy. Every time I see him talk, I'm like, ah, oh, you seem like such a douche. But anyway, at age 18, the person could access their funds for a specific purpose, such as attending college, buying a home, or starting a business, if you even are allowed to start businesses in 18 years. The program would cost $60 billion a year and offset, it would be offset, okay, by hiking estate taxes and closing tax breaks for wealthy Americans. Oh, so I'll close the tax breaks, close the tax break. Like, well, okay. What we talk about is every time they talk about wealthy Americans, you're talking about mostly high income earn employees not the rich not the not rich that are... you think you're you're affecting a lot of people on this and they keep lowering the bracket of what wealthy means in this country so in a country as well as wealthy as ours every person uh every person should have access to economic opportunity and the chance to build assets and create wealth uh, we talked about it before. We definitely do have access to it. It's just not free. You yeah. gotta, I'm sorry, you gotta work. Weird thing, apparently. The plan was co-sponsored by Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Dick. Durbin. 
Dick Durbin, Double D, of Illinois. Booker and Presley are pushing to fold the proposal into Biden's $1.9 trillion plan. Back when uh, Trump was president, that you know he kept fighting the stimulus that they, the Democrats were trying to push is because he said, he's like, we're not, you're, you're adding more shit in here that has nothing to do with the pandemic. Yeah. You know, adding a thousand dollars to all kids yeah. being born, not really necessary during the pandemic, especially when they can't touch it for 18 years. When it comes to racial justice, here's how they're going to get it through. Uh, we can't afford to wait. Uh, as we emerge from this dark period of our nation's history, dark period, baby, baby bonds <laughs> is exactly the type of universal uh, race conscious program necessary to build our economy back better. And you have J.P. Freire, Freire, a representative of the Republican side of the House Ways and Means Committee, criticized Booker and he tweeted, the best path out of poverty is a job. This measure is a job killer. So, you know, kind of going into how amazing, you know, all these things are and where the government were here to help kind of thing. That's like, you know, you're kind of too stupid to take care of yourself. So we know what's good for you. All right. So we're going to give you a thousand dollars. We're going to put it, it's going to be savings. So we're probably going to put it somewhere where it gains interest and it takes care of maybe the banks maybe the stock market because how is it gaining interest right where is that yeah. money being put well that's what i said like where it's always invested in stuff like that you're like thousand dollars say okay you give somebody a thousand dollars a day you let inflation chip away it added a compounding interest rate or compounding over 18 years so that thousand dollars is really like hey here's 500 bucks here's less than 500 dollars here's 400 dollars to go to college like that ain't gonna do shit no. So it's and like, what it, are you going to do it? Like, you got to be able to do something with it. Cause I've heard many proposals like this, like, Hey, putting a thousand dollars for every child, it isn't a bad idea in the sense that when they do graduate, they can get off to a good start, but it's like, but you have to put a stipulation on what that money can use for. It's not just, Hey, here's $18,000. You can go do with it. You gave me 18 grand as at 18 or thousands of dollars at 18. Like I would have blown. That. Well, they, they are saying that, you know, it has to be used for college, uh, to start a business or buy a home. Yeah, but what's starting a business nowadays? Uh, you know, a Robinhood account. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm starting a financial tic management. A TikTok account. Exactly. Um, but my thing is, like, we go back to personal accountability. My issue with all this, right, It's that we're going to take care of your kids. Here, we're going to think for you. Here, we're going to yep. take care of all this. It, like, Not going to educate guys, them on how to use the money. And $60 billion, okay, because they're awesome at their projections. They're never way off. Yeah. It's probably going to cost a lot more than that. And then where's the 60 billion going? You understand? Like, where's it being invested into for these well, kids? Well, it's another way to prop up the stock market where it's like exactly. case and stuff like that. It's to take but, money, put it in the market to keep it going up, which I mean, at that, that's like college and that like you're adding 60 billion to the market every single year or it would over time continue to go up and up and up to where they say it's like, you really can't beat the stock market. Just put the money in there and let it ride. Like yeah, it's going to go up over it, time because don't, like just don't speculate, right? Don't put it on yeah. a on a company or anything. Put it on an index fund, track an index. And I I um disclaimer, we are not financial advisors, accountants, lawyers, attorneys, doctors, vets, personal trainers. Please do your due diligence, use your brain. Um but yeah, I mean 
you you hear things like this and it just goes back to the same thing. Let's just keep eliminating personal accountability. Let's keep eliminating, you know, uh, people thinking for themselves, people being held responsible to take care of their kids and their families where it's like, don't worry, we got you, you know, and uh, just crazy. So to wrap up, because we got to get going, um, look at the trends that are being formed on this. Like we talked about earlier, we have, you know, all the major servicers of loans and everything, they're preparing for a big issue, high call volumes of people saying, hey, I'm going to lose my house. I can't make up payments, all of this. So the distress is real. And a point that we covered with a, a friend of ours in our mastermind session was that he's made a really good point. He says, yes, you know, at, at the end of it, they're going to do loan modifications. But you still need to qual like qualify to still even just take care of the current mortgage. Yeah. And the amount of small businesses, remember that they make up 50% of the employment in the U.S. that are going out of business. A lot of these people, it's it. going to get to the end that yeah. it's like, okay, let's do a loan mod. But you can't even afford the mortgage as it is. So... These people, they're going to have to sell those houses. Yeah. I was like, you know? any amount of spending, I think it's like, it, it's not going to just solve the problem of just blanketing money everywhere. No. Or like, it, it could, but it could very easily not doing it as well. It's like, where's the next recession? It's following the pandemic of just like, yeah, you decimated the small business, which is 50% of your employment, who all these people went out and bought houses while they were employed. Yeah. And now you create this huge problem again, where it's like, at that point, what do you do? Like, you can bail out banks, but now your individuals like you just added more bloat on top of more bloat on top of more bloat to where like that could be something that could happen. But yeah, and you have you to know. as an investor, yeah, have to understand these trends. This is when rental income is going to be amazing. Owning rentals is going to be amazing because when mortgages are so expensive and rents can't keep up. Renting a house is going to be much better, much more affordable. To get new with somebody else and they're paying. That's the other huh? problem. As long as you can get the non-paying person out and get a paying person in, then you're all right. Oh, you still got to, yeah, you still got to buy rent. Well, it's what we talked about before. In San Antonio, we're seeing it more and more where you are going to have to leave some money tied up in yep. these properties. But the great thing is that the appreciation is it's amazing. Oh, and and also... then at, at the same time, you have cash flow and you have a dependable cash flow because as prices keep going up and then you have the $15,000 um, that they're trying to put home out credit. home buyer credit. And then to you, what a point that you made last week on uh, to become a first time home buyer, all you need is three years after you've owned the home and you become a first time home buyer again. Right. I haven't owned a home. Yeah. Yeah. That you haven't owned a home. You become a, a first time home buyer again. So you're qualified for that 15 grand. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to keep pushing prices up. Yeah. You know, we keep having lower inventory, more people refinancing, less people wanting to sell their homes. Prices are going to keep going up. So you got to get in. You got to get in. The more you wait, the more expensive it's going to be to cash flow. Yep. So with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Coffee with the Johns. I love the chat. Uh, sorry if I didn't bring a lot of your comments in. Uh, we were kind of rushing through. There was a lot to cover. But I love the the conversations going on in here. Brian, Tommy, Val, Molly, uh, you guys have been crushing it. Great, great uh, contributions. And, and thank you all for watching and sharing. And if you enjoyed it, just 
hit that little like button on our videos. It really that when you hit in that little like, it just puts uh, it warms my heart up, you know, and my heart is kind of cold. So it, it needs some heat. Um, right. <laughs> but it, it helps us out a lot. We put in a lot of work to do all of this, to help you guys and create these dialogues. So just getting that little thumbs up, um, really helps us get the word out even more and, and, and spreading the love. So I really appreciate you guys for doing this. Um, and like always we're, you know, Super Bowl this weekend. So for anybody using your stimmy checks for, for betting on the Super Bowl, good luck. Um, there you go, go, go Brady. And uh, <laughs> and we will see you next week. We will catch you all on the next week's episode. So For thank sure. you for watching. Bye-bye.